today the names of God, Jehovah or Lord or Yahweh Sabaoth. The scripture says in Isaiah 44, verses 6 through 8, this is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. The word there that is translated Lord Almighty actually doesn't say El Shaddai or Lord Almighty. Actually, it says Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of hosts. We're going to talk about the name, the God of hosts. Now, some people see that God has many names in Scripture, and they leap to a conclusion, and they'll say, well, there must have been many different people writing the same book. I have no problem with the fact that some of the books of the Bible were edited by teams through the years. That's part of God's community at work. But they will go so far as to say, these people never knew each other and the like, and it was blended, and they get all excited. People, we all have various names for each other that we use to illustrate different parts of our relationship. Um, now, this is the point in the, in the story where the minister usually makes some crack about people having names for him. That's, let's not go down that road. In fact, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I, uh, they, they said I, the amazing Patrick Mead would be part of the, and I was thinking, either I'm a magician or um, my first name's amazing. And I told Cammie, my first name's amazing. And, and Cammie didn't look over at me and give me harsh names or whatever. Cammie, uh, this is, I don't know why preachers like to say their wives are mean. Mine's sweet. Uh, she turned to me and she goes, you need that on your business card. I went, yes, I'll do that. <laughs> but my little five-year-old was talking about my, uh, because he's been around sugar so much, his, his grandmother, that when somebody was asking what to call him, he says, well, you can call me Fen, and I'll just call you Darlin, because that's what Cammy calls him. We have different names. Well, when do we use the name Lord Sabaoth? By the way, you don't have to say Sabaoth. It's not, a, it's not magical to say it in Hebrew. It's not magical to say it in Yiddish or Aramaic or any other language. Don't let anybody get that to you and say, oh, no, no, you're not saying the name God right. You know, talk to your father, he'll respond. Don't, this is not a magic trick. But when do we use the name Sabaoth? There is a time in Scripture it's used, and only in those kinds of times. And that's when all hope is lost. When, they, when Israel has reached the depths of failure, that's when they call upon him. They didn't call upon that name even when they were slaves in Egypt. They didn't call upon that name when they were wandering in the promised land. But they, or on the way to the promised land, but they did call upon that name when they got to the promised land and failed. They had finally achieved where they, what they thought was going to be everything for them, but when they got there, they personally failed God and tragedy struck. It's only when a nation is divided 
and in peril of being led away by vicious, evil conquerors. Um, people, the, the, the media wants to tell you that things have never been worse than they are right now. I would submit that you might want to read a book. The people who, you know, you, I don't, you know, Shalmanezar, Nebuchadnezzar, any of these people you want to talk about who were the conquering people, I will not describe what they did to people. That's why you can go look it up. It's brutal. It's awful. All hope is gone. And suddenly the people say, we need a Lord that leads armies. The Lord of hosts. Jeremiah, one of the, the books in, in Scripture, which is the most fascinating and frustrating from, on many levels, uses it 80 times. 80 times. He says, God, we need you, and we need your army. We need everybody you've got. Haggai, little book, two chapters, uses it 14 times. Zechariah, I know, uh, a book you don't really have on the top of your list. Most people don't read Zechariah much. It, it's very symbolic. It's very prophetic. But go look at it, and you'll find he uses Lord Sabaoth 50 times in that little book. Malachi, the goodbye book of the Old Testament, 25 times. It is used, once again, this is important, because somebody in this room needs this name. Somebody in this room is in this position when everything else has failed. And when you look about you for an army to come, and there is no army. When I was a little boy, like most little boys all over the world that know anything about America, I wanted to be a cowboy. Didn't work out. But that's what I wanted. Loved it. Everybody wanted to be a and And American... Old American black and white westerns, when they were shown there, were brilliant because they had a formula. It was the whole thing was getting in trouble, and the last couple minutes, the Calvary shows up. That's, and that's the only function of the Calvary. You don't get to know any of these people. They just show up and rescue the people you got to know. What happens if the Calvary doesn't come? I can remember the first time I saw the John Wayne movie, uh, The Sands of Iwo Jima. He's very excited. And then John Wayne dies. Spoiler alert. Um, sorry. It was made in the 50s. Catch up. Um, but when he died, I was going, wait, wait, wait. He's, well, he's a star. He's not supposed to die. He's supposed to be bulletproof. What happens when you look for your heroes and they don't show up? What happens when you reach for your weapon you've got nothing? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. What happens when, as Jesus says, all you've got, all you have, and all you can do is nothing but a pile of filthy rags, and then the enemy comes? That's when you desperately need the Lord of hosts. Jehovah or Yahweh Sabaoth. There are times we don't need that much firepower. We need God all the time, don't get me wrong, but we don't need that much firepower. When I was um, in middle school, I think you call it in America, we called it um, 
we had a different name, but uh, most of the time in America, I've heard it called junior high, whenever that was. We had an assistant principal that um, wanted to rule the world and decided to start right there. <laughs> As science teacher, uh, there were a couple of the lads in, in science class that got out of line, and he sent them out into the, the hall, and he sent me too. He thought I'd done it. This is one of the times I was completely innocent. I did not do this. So I'm out in the hall thinking, now what? And he comes out with his paddle because, yes, kids, back then, that was a part of the, the Board of Education was carried about with them, actually, <laughs> and was applied liberally. Um, and so he told everybody to get up against the wall, and they did, brace in the position, and I, I didn't. He said, get against the wall. And I said, no, it's not going to happen. He said, you're going to do that, or I'm going to call, you know, I'm going to send you down to the principal's office. And you, you could almost smell the sulfur coming out of that office, you know, and the, and the demon's laughing on, you know, but I, I said, well, then I'll have to go. Uh, because back then, I was a bit stubborn, back then. Um, <laughs> so I went, sat down, he looked at me, and he goes, oh, you're growling and all this, and big threatening things, and, you know, he's got the elect electric paddle with the, uh, you know, the aerodynamic and the like, and he's, he's ready to use it. And um, he said, he said we're gonna, I said, no, call my dad. He said, if you're, you're okay. Back then, kids, if you called the parents, they came and paddled you too. So, it, it, so he thought, oh, good. So he called my father. Now, my father, most of the time, you know, you wouldn't think anything. Just strong guy, a little harsh, but, you know, all right. I'll never forget when he came through the door. He said, there was no doorknob used. It was just, the, <laughs> he turned and, and the uh, pr he, assistant principal stood up. He knew it was good for him. Um, and dad just turned to me and he said, did you do it? I said, no, sir. And he looked back at the man. He said, you'll not touch him. He said, no, sir. <laughs> now, there are a lot of other times I didn't want that dad coming through the door. Do you understand what I mean? I wanted dad coming through the door singing of unicorns and lollipops. And, but that never happened. But that's, there are times I'll come home and see... Gentlemen, that look on your wife's face, and you're going, uh-oh. <laughs> now, you, you're pretty sure you didn't do it, but you know something was done. And here's the thing, ladies. We have no clue who you want to come through the door at that stage. Do, uh, do you want Oprah? Uh, so we can, we'll sit around on the couch, discuss it, um, take questions from the audience. Do, do, you, do you want... Do you want John Wayne to come in and just shoot two people to get people's attention? What, what do you want? We don't know. I, I, I'll never forget the first time. We were uh, newly married, not all that long. Cammie's walking through the house, got a bit of a frown on her face. And I said, you're doing all right. And she goes, well, I've, I've, got, I've got a headache. Like, she just realized that, which is amazing. Amazing, frankly. Because when men have a headache, that's, that's what we're doing. We're having a headache. Uh, that's, anyway... So I, so I did what men do. I said, um, take a couple aspirin. And she goes, well, okay, I've solved it. My work here is done. <laughs> An hour or two later, she's walking through, still frowny face. I said, you still have a headache? Yeah. Did you take the aspirin? Oh, I forgot. Really? How's, how do you do that? <laughs> I learned early, they don't want a solution. Sometimes they want discussion. But sometimes they want a solution. If she calls me and says, I've got a flat tire, I'm not going to say, how do you feel about that? You know, uh, 
Is the weather good? You see any birds? No, no. Sometimes you need God holding a lamb. And sometimes you need God kicking in the door. And his SWAT team coming through the windows. That's when you call Lord Sabaoth. I've asked him not to put this up on the screen because this was read to you last week to kind of get you ready. Psalm 46 is a Lord Almighty. Every time you see that, it's really Lord of hosts. Our God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Lily read this for you magnificently last week. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fail. God will help her at break of day, that 1159 God. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We find it first used in 1 Samuel coming from the mouth of a broken-hearted woman. She has been praying and praying for her son, but she has none. She is so broken-hearted, sobbing at the doors of the altar, of the, uh, of the temple, and yet, the tabernacle, sorry, and yet the priest look upon her as a drunk bother. She's not drunk, but the priesthood back then was exceptionally corrupt. They couldn't be bothered with her. They could not, as, as, as was brought to, they could not linger with her or for her. And so she calls in 1 Samuel 1, verses 2 and 11, for Lord Sabaoth, God, I need an army to save me. Sometimes we need an army. The good news is God has one, and he's not afraid to use it when the time comes. Little David, facing Goliath, gets five little stones. I always love that bit of the story. How many did he need? One. Even David, with his great faith, overarmed. He didn't need that much. But whenever he went out to face the great giant, said, I come not with sword or shield, but in the name of the Lord of hosts the Lord of armies. And yet, that's 1 Samuel 17, 45, if you want to look at it. Yet he stands there alone, but confident he is surrounded by armies. Story is told twice, as many stories are in the Old Testament, of Ahab and his death, 1 Kings 22 and, and 2 Chronicles 18. The evil king Ahab is told by a prophet, God 
will kill you. The Lord of armies has found one of his men, one of his spirits, that's going to come take care of you, and he does. A few scriptures. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Daughter Zion, that's the nation. That's a, a metaphor for the nation. Our people, our, our land, is left like a shelter in a vineyard, isolated, unprotected, like a hut in a cucumber field, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. Take a look at the next passage. In the the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. When Isaiah was nearly panicked at the state they were in, isolated, under siege, no one coming to their help, he gets the vision of the seraphim saying, oh, they're coming. Just wait and see. I think we could all agree, however, that one of the hardest things we have to do, one of the hardest Christian duties is waiting on the Lord. It is very hard. How about Isaiah chapter 8, 11 through 14? This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. By the way, that's always a good idea. Wherever the crowd's running, that's probably where you want to be. Do not call conspiracy everything that this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Don't be afraid of what the world is afraid of. Don't yell conspiracy every time you turn your head. There's somebody in charge here. How about chapter 31? Same book, 4 and 5. This is what the Lord says to me. As a lion growls, a great lion over its prey, and though a whole band of shepherds is called together against it, it's not frightened by their shouts or disturbed by their clamor. So the Lord of hosts will come down and do battle on Mount Zion and on its heights. Like birds hovering overhead, the Lord of hosts will shield Jerusalem. He will shield it and deliver it. He will pass over it and will rescue it. Isn't that an amazing promise? Book of Isaiah is fantastic. Book of Isaiah will get you through your day when the news threatens to derail it. Read Isaiah. By the way, this is why David's sin was so awful when he numbered Israel to count his armies, because he was going to rely upon how much he had. Many of us have made that mistake. You relied upon how much you had in your retirement accounts, and then 9-11 hit. 
you counted on how much you had in the bank account and then medical expenses hit and this hit and that hit. We rely upon governments and they always let us down. We rely upon this, that'll sort it. And it rely upon God, not upon your stuff. And by the way, that's why an avenging angel was allowed to go to Israel and knock down the number of their stuff until the angel of the Lord said enough. When people cried out to the Lord of hosts, they knew he was angry with them. They knew that they had failed God. Therefore, they begged for his anger to come, rather his anger to pass, and his salvation to come. If you want to read more about that later, a good example of that is Psalm 80. Psalm 80. Psalms, remember, was a songbook and a prayer book for Jesus and for the Jews for a thousand years. Still is, by the way, the last couple of thousands as well. But he talk, it talks about, we failed you, God. You transplanted this vine, and we failed you. We didn't do what you told us to do. We need your help because of where we placed ourselves. When Jacob was in exile, and he was preparing to meet Esau, who he had wronged, Esau, who had an army, Esau, big and strong, he saw God's camp, God's host in Genesis 32. And it reminded him of what he had learned many years before, that God has angels on the move, going up and down a stairway, making sure God's will is done. It's that same host, the heavenly host, that appeared in the story of Mary, Joseph, Zechariah. When the shepherds learn of the birth of Jesus, the host is there. It's a host that declares, fear not. Why fear not? They got this. God's got this. Fear not. To this day, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says, there are ministering spirits sent to take care of us. Fear not. Jesus declares in Matthew chapter 26 verse 53 that if he needed help, he could get help. His apostles are going, we'll help you. He's saying, you know, if I need help, I can get 12 legions of angels like this. All I have to do is ask. By the way, I've seen people say, actually do the math and say, that would be 72,000 angels. Now, not all legions were at full strength, and I always just want to shake them. Stop it. That's not the point. The point is God has all the help he needs. We're not doing him a favor. He's doing us a favor. So these angels show up. They free Peter from prison. They guide Philip across the desert. They help Paul in the storm. They help John on Patmos. So who are these angels? Oh, my goodness. Soon, we're going to do a series here, maybe in Bible class, maybe in sermons. I haven't really decided yet. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I call it the others, the non-human players in Scripture. So we'll talk about demons, we'll talk about angels, we'll talk about archangel, we'll talk about seraphim and cherubim, we'll talk about the, the non-human players in Scripture, the others. But for now, if you wonder if God's strong enough and if he's got enough guys 
He's got enough guys. In the book of Revelation, we see the list of angels who wield power in the universe. Not men, but angels under the command of God. Here are just some in Revelation alone. Angels of the churches. Churches have an angel. Churches have an angel. That's pretty cool. I sometimes wonder if ours shouldn't put in for combat pay, but I think, I think he's doing a fantastic job. Angels around the throne. Angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding back the storms that would crush us. That's a metaphoric way of, or symbolic way of saying we have angels that are in charge of territories, making sure that nothing hits us, like Paul said, nothing hits us that we cannot deal with with the help of God. Nothing will break us and yank us away from God, not without our own permission. Angels with trumpets, that's messages we need to hear. Angels sounding judgment on the earth. Angels with vials holding the wrath of God, ready to pour it out when necessary. Angels bound in the great river who are prepared to slay a third of mankind to save the believers. God has your back. You are in his arms. An angel of the waters. People are waters. The angels are there. An angel standing in the sun. An angel with the judgment seat of God, seal of God, rather, whose job it is to make sure the servants of God are saved. Mark them. These are saved. In a battle... At the end of battle, the wounded, what the British call the butcher's bill, is brought in. The dead and the wounded. Then the wounded are separated. There's no pretty way to say this. They are marked. As the nurses and doctors go through them, mainly medics, corpsmen, going through them, they put a mark on their head. The soldiers know what it is, and they'll often ask, what's on my head? And usually they'll be lied to. Let's say a one means this one's savable, but they can wait a while. A two, this one's savable, but you've got to get them now. A three, this one cannot be saved. We're not going to expend effort on this one. There's an angel that makes sure you're marked saved. How does that make you feel? That makes me feel pretty good. Because on my, on my worst days, on my best days, let's go that way. On my best days, I don't feel like a, a, an all-consuming conqueror. Do you? I don't, some of you are morning people. And we don't like you. <laughs> you just need to know that. We don't normally tell you that, but we're all talking about it. Um, and you get out of bed like toast, just and you're just as happy as you can be. First thing I do when I wake up, I, I never say, this is the day the Lord has made. I know I'm supposed to, but eh. Um, I wake up, and I'm, I'm going, oh, another day this side of the dirt. You know, and you roll out of bed, and then the next thing I say is, ow, because I'm at that stage where you can just try to get out of bed and fail to nail the dismount. Um, and... And yet, 
If I got my feet tangled in the blankets, fell down, hit my head on the dresser and died, I'm saved because I got the mark. Because I've been baptized into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he promised. I'm not saved, again, referring back to the talk at the communion. I'm not saved because I'm holy. I'm saved because he is. And he promised. And he's got enough guys to get me there. An angel, I love this angel in the scripture, who every time we see him in Revelation says, come. Come on. It's safe here. Run to this side. We often make coming to God like a game of Red Rover, Red Rover, where the angels are saying, let's keep them out unless they're worthy. Have you ever noticed that in all these mythologies, you have to prove yourself worthy? In Christianity, you have to accept that you're not, but he is, so run to him. And that angel says, come on, come, you can do this. And while this gives us unimaginable comfort, it should frighten those in this world who mistreat others because they're, they're, this is being witnessed. It should frighten those who hoard the world's goods and allow others to starve among them. It should make us shudder if, as according to James 5, verse 4, we don't show love because we don't share what we have because this is being seen. It should make us frightened if we walk around complaining about the church and complaining about each other and complaining about... Because we're, we're drowning in riches. And our complaining and divisiveness is being seen. Before I close, put a list up if I could, please. Look at these hosts in Scripture. Messengers. Mighty ones. Watchers. That's one of my favorite ones. That's a great story. I'm looking forward to telling that one. The army. The cherubim. Cherubim, as it would have been. Seraphim. The living creatures. We don't even know what those are. They're just called living creatures. Some of them are, are called the friends of God or the sons of God. They are the others. And they are there for us. I'm going to read 2 Kings chapter 6. And as I do so, I'll let Mark and his team come back up here. They probably thought they'd never get back here again. The sermon was going to be five minutes shorter, but then they called me amazing and I got so excited. <laughs> so next week they'll call me adequate to make it shorter, I guess. <laughs> here he is, his adequacy, Patrick. Um, I have delusions of adequacy. Um, one of my favorite stories, Elisha is being hunted by the king of the Arameans. He is, uh, the king of the Arameans wants to kill this prophet. And he finally finds out where he lives and he surrounds the house ready to pounce at daylight. The servant gets up, looks outside the window. You can almost see him go, <laughs> looks out, ah, and runs back in going, we're all going to die. Verse 15 of 2 Kings 6. 2 Kings 6, 15. When a servant of the man got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are against, or, or than those who are with them. Let me try that again. 
Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. We have a God of hosts. Even when we fail him, especially when we fail him, who says, come, receive the mark, be saved. Do not be afraid. Chariots of fire are here. Amen, church?